0: And then once I realized how God viewed me, then the next question was, well, how do I view myself? If that's how he views me, then how do I view myself? And it started just being where I had to work through kind of that trauma and relive all of those memories, but then take a step back and go, hey, in this situation, when this was happening, what was God thinking in that situation? What was he saying when he was looking down on me? And then looking back now, you know, it was, well, how do I view that? Um, So it just kind of started being like, first, how does God view you? And then the second was, well, how do I view myself right
1: now? Welcome to the Mentally Shredded Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Whedon. Having lived through the lows of depression and anxiety myself, I reestablished my foundation by focusing on four pillars, mental, physical, spiritual, and financial well-being. And I'm here to help you do the same. My guests and I will share our journey with you, stories of triumph, and personal development tools to empower you to live a life without limits. As ambitious people, we know what it's like to face challenges. We're not meant to do this life alone. I'm here to help you take your power back. What's up, guys? This is the Mentally Shredded Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Whedon, and today's special guest is a good friend of mine, Chelsea and Davino. We have actually known each other, and she was like my road dog for for about a good year. Um, but Chelsea is a former pro cheerleader. She's author of Waiting Season: Praying for the Not Yet, and I'm just excited to share her story with you guys. I'm excited to have her on. It's long overdue. Um, so, without further ado, Chelsea, how are you, Chelsea? How's everything going this morning?
0: I'm well. How are you? Things are good.
1: Good, good. I have no complaints. You know, I I wake up every day like I'm living the dream. So, I'm just grateful to be here. And um, yeah, I'm excited to share your story with, with our listeners because you have one of those stories that I'm like, this is a bestseller right here. So thank you again for just coming on and and sharing the space with me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I know you and I've had multiple conversations about everything that I've been through and my story. And so um, just love the, what you're doing and being able to be a guest here.
1: Yes, yes. So, well, let's, let's dive right in, right? Again, we, we talked briefly touched on being a former pro cheerleader. And so you grew up dancing. You grew up in that space. What, what made you say, you know what, wake up one day. I want to be a, a, a pro cheerleader. And in Carolina, for that matter.
0: Yeah, so I wish I could tell you that it was just um, 100% good hearted. Um, but at the time, I was 23. I was seeing a guy who was a professional athlete. And kind of put my whole life on hold to kind of let him do his dream. And I was teaching dance and that relationship kind of crumbled. And it was one of those moments where I was like, wait, I could do this too. I could also be a professional. Um, So it's kind of a revenge thing. Um, One, it was a passion of mine, but then also a revenge thing of like, oh, okay. Um, And so I had had multiple conversations with girls through that relationship. I was able to connect with other um, wives and girlfriends and they were professional cheerleaders and they're like you would be amazing you should do it and so kind of you know having the background of dance and then also kind of the revenge part of it of like okay well you don't want to be with me well then I'll go make something of myself um, and so I just chose cities that I loved I was living in Charleston at the time and I, they don't have any professional teams down there that have cheerleaders so I was like alright I'm going to pick cities that I could see myself living in and I'm just going to go audition and whatever team I make That's where I'm moving. And so I ended up here in Charlotte. Um, You know, I could have ended up in Tampa, Orlando, Atlanta, um, but this is where I ended up. And I moved. I had no place to live. I had no job, but I was like, you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to figure it out as we go. And that's kind of what happened.
1: I love that. And most people talk about revenge bodies. You said, I'm going to go the route of revenge career. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. And you, you danced for the the Panthers for, how? no, what what team?
0: (laughs) No, I was with the Checkers.
1: The Checkers. See? Yeah.
0: yeah. Clearly,
1: clearly, I didn't even know. I just knew you were a dancer. Well, so how many seasons did you dance with the Checkers? Because that's the only team that's actually won a championship here, um, for those of you that are listening.
0: Uh, So I was only with them for a year, the 2013-2014 season.
1: Okay. And was it, what did you learn in that season, like about yourself or about just that that space?
0: So I loved absolutely doing everything that I was doing as a tutor. Um, I did start to realize a little bit more of my anxiety in that position, especially social anxiety. Um, You know, as a professional tutor, you have to be, very extroverted you have to be able to have conversations with strangers and you know always kind of be in this big bubbly mood um and I started realizing that was when I was dancing I could be as big as possible but when I came into the actual like interaction parts I had a lot of anxiety um with that um and it just kind of highlighted a little bit more of what I already kind of was dealing with in my life um So yeah, it was just kind of it was a learning experience. It was super fun, and I loved it. And there's days that I miss it, but um, definitely, you know, pros and cons. Like how much I loved what I was doing, but then also kind of my personality and who I was, and kind of was that the best fit for someone like me?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm. This is a perfect segue. You mentioned anxiety, and so let's talk about your upbringing. Let's talk about the the mental health battle because. The Chelsea that that we all know today, that I truly ha- have grown to know and has become a good friend, isn't the Chelsea that you are used to other people knowing, right? And so let's kind of talk about your journey, what whatever you're comfortable sharing, and how you grew through that, because I know there's a lot to unpack there.
0: Yeah, um, I know my story could take hours, but Cliff Notes version... Um, you know, I was abused for twenty eight years of my life. Um, most of the abuse I would think that I well, I do know that I knew that it was happening, you know, the verbal and the physical. Um, growing up um until I was about nineteen, um, those were very blatantly obvious to me that I was being abused at home. And the other parts of it, the spiritual and the emotional abuse wasn't so black and white to me. It wasn't something that I knew. Um, and so, you know, from nineteen to twenty eight I kinda had this this of roller coaster of a life of not wanting to feel anything and then wanting to deal with everything but not really knowing how to do it and so through my trauma that I went through and the abuse I went through my anxiety started getting worse and worse being you know social anxiety not being able to have relationships and so at 28 um, as you know is when I had my suicide attempt and that was like I didn't want to feel anything I didn't want to be who I was anymore I was tired of fighting for relationships I was tired of you know, wanting to be seen and heard and noticed and I always kind of lived my life where I felt nobody saw me, nobody, you know, I was never the best dancer in the room. I was never the skinniest or fittest person in the room. I was never, you know, but even though I wasn't, I also wasn't necessarily seen for who I was. And that was a huge wake up call at 28. That was kind of, you know, what are you doing? Who are you? Um, And I didn't know that question of, who are you? I didn't know who that was. I had no identity. Um, And I feel like it's because I grew up and I had no advocate. You know, I would be told, oh, you're eating again? Aren't you fat enough? And it would be, you know, where I'd say, wait, like, you know, whoever was in the room, the other adult, like, seriously? And they'd be like, what are you? And that was the question all throughout my childhood. When When anyone said anything about me, it was, well, are you? And it was always left up to me to determine who I was. And so I spent most of my life just chasing this kind of affirmation and this validation from other people. And so at 28, I just realized I was exhausted. I was tired and I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and so the last kind of seven years have been this journey of who who am I? Who do I think I am? Because, you know, at the end of the day, the person you spend the most time with is yourself. And so you have to be able to be comfortable with yourself, be comfortable being alone, um, and just, you know, kind of exploring that a little bit more. And, I do that, I've had to say goodbye to a lot of friendships and, you know, just kind of see, okay, who's going to help me on this journey of healing from trauma? Who's going to help push me into better situations, better thought processes? Um, You know, what are things in my life that give me anxiety that I don't need to have in my life? You know, there's healthy anxiety. I think everyone, you know, when you want to do something really well or you want to perform really well, I think that's really healthy anxiety. Um, But when it overtakes you, and you become almost debilitating, that's kind of the anxiety I was dealing with. Um, Didn't have healthy relationships at all. Um, Didn't even know how to have healthy friendships or healthy romantic relationships or even healthy family relationships. So just kind of working through all of that the last seven years um, has been my primary focus.
1: Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So where did you start? Like, where did you start as far as your journey to improvement and growth?
0: So I'm very fortunate. I have a group, uh, a big group of people that are around me. Um, Obviously, the first step when I had my suicide attempt was to make sure that didn't happen again. Um, And so I remember going to my doctor and my doctor did, you know, put me on medication. But um, I have an amazing doctor and I'll rave about him. Constantly, because his response was, This is a short term solution to a long term problem. He was like, You need to get in therapy. You need to talk to someone. And he was the first person to kind of push me into a therapist. Um, And I did drag my feet for about six months. You know, I started doing a little bit of research, talking, you know, to people. Um, You know, being a Christian, a big thing for me was going to a Christian therapist. Even though I wasn't reading my Bible and I wasn't going to church and I wasn't listening to worship music, I knew in my core, that's where I was. I was a Christian. I was a child of God and I wanted someone to be able to talk through the things I needed to talk through, but then also point me back to what I know um, to be true. And so I did have a couple, I call them little interviews, kind of um, phone call conversations with therapists and just kind of listening to, you know, kind of asking me questions, kind of asking them questions. Um, And I finally landed on a therapist in October. my, suicide thing was around February. So it took me a, a good while to land on someone. Um, but tally was the first person to kind of, um, I remember I walked in and I sat down and I was like, I know I wanted you to be a Christian, but I don't want you to pray for me. I don't want you to give me a scripture verse. Like, I feel like a well-versed atheist. Like, I just am not there right now. And she looked at me. She said, okay. And the first sessions were just me talking and just Giving experiences and and what I was tired of and um, kind of the the actions that I was doing and and the way that I was, you know, feeling rejection and the way that I couldn't necessarily live my life because, you know, everything was a direct, I, I played a victim. I was a hardcore victim at the time and everything people said or did, it was almost like it was personal to me, even though it wasn't personal, but I felt that way. And so she just, started you know just listening and then it was probably in the spring she looked at me one day and said so how do you think god used you in that situation and that was the first question she ever asked me and i remember looking at her and i was like i have no idea and she's like okay and then she moved along and then it was the next time i saw her and i would tell her another situation she's like how do you think god used you in that situation and i'm like i don't know and slowly but surely as she said it i started taking a step back and be like okay well this is how god used me And then once I realized how God viewed me, then the next question was, well, how do I view myself? If that's how he views me, then how do I view myself? And it started just being where I had to work through kind of that trauma and relive all of those memories, but then take a step back and go, hey, in this situation, when this was happening, what was God thinking in that situation? What was he saying when he was looking down on me? And then looking back now, you know, it was, well, how do I do that? Um, so it just kind of started being like, first, how does God view you? And then the second was, well, how do I view myself right now?
1: Hmm. I think that's so important. And you talked about how you were on this search for a few months to find the right person. Like, let's, let's talk about that. Cause I, I talk about how, when I first started seeking therapy, my first therapist was not a good fit for me. Right and actually took me backwards. And so I had to get back on the train of searching for the right person and landed upon the the person, individual that I work with today. But why was it so important for you to find that that right fit? And then I guess what advice can you give to people that are seeking therapy for the first time?
0: So for me, I, was super, super guarded, and I kind of was at the point in my life where I didn't want to feel rejected anymore. I didn't want to go to someone who said that I was the problem or that I had an issue, and it was, I don't know if it was a defense mechanism or if it was just I wasn't ready to hear the truth or I was afraid that maybe everything that happened to me was the result of something I had done. Um. So I just really, I knew something inside of me told me like when you find that person, you'll find that person, like the right person. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of stuck to my guns. I also knew jogging my feet. I think that was part of it. I think a larger part of it also was you have to be ready to get into therapy. Like healing and changing, that is hard. You know, the I could look back on the 28 years of the abuse and say that was hard. Nothing is harder than taking trauma or abuse or anything you've been through and having to face it head on and actually dig things out by the roof. It's not just let's talk about that situation and you move on. No, no, It's, you know, how did this form your identity? What core lies did you, did you create because of this? And so I think a big part of that, dragging my feet of like, I don't know that I was ready to have someone really dig down and make it to where it's like, you really have to change. Like, you really have to fight these things um, and you have to do the work. And it's really, really hard work. And so I would just tell anyone, you know, if you are looking at a therapist, you know, it's okay to be picky it's okay to sit there and you know interview them if you need to in the beginning say you know this is who I am this is what I'm looking for but making sure like there's nothing you know like you said there's nothing worse than having a, a bad fit you know when you have a bad fit it does, it can cause you to take a step back it could cause someone to stop doing therapy altogether and then years or months turns into years when they could have been so much farther in their healing journey um, it's just like a job, right? When you go to a job, you should interview them just as much as they interview you because that's someone that you're really gonna be spending time with. You're really gonna be able, you know, you're a therapist, you're putting your, your guard down. You're completely vulnerable. You have to make sure that someone who's gonna be speaking into your life is gonna be actually helping you rather than hindering you.
1: Looking for a consulting firm that can help your organization achieve its full potential? Look no further than Deck leadership. With over 25 years of experience in NASCAR, Founders Mike Metcalf and Sean Pete know what it takes to lead high-performing teams. They can help you uncover opportunities for diversity, efficiency, culture, and kindness, all while inspiring human brilliance. And if they can lead pit crews that can change four tires and fill 18 gallons of gas in less than 12 seconds, just imagine what they can do for your organization visit www.deckleadership.com for more information. I have nothing to add there. That is 100% spot on. And so you talked about how you had to learn how to protect yourself, protect your heart and, and kind of push some people away that uh, were toxic in the past. And some of those even being family members, right? So, Let's kind of touch on the importance of protecting your heart while you are on this journey of healing.
0: Yeah, so I think it's really important. There's something that my therapist, I've adopted now that she used to say all the time. She would say, they're not bad people. They're just not my people, right? And so it got to a point where, you know, something that I really struggled with was because I have anxiety and I deal with anxiety, you know, and anyone with anxiety can, you know, understand this is you have to build your life Around anxiety. What are your triggers? What are things that are going to hinder it? You know, I have like a schedule. A schedule is really good for me. You know, waking up at the same time every day, not jumping out of bed, but being able to, you know, slowly get up, read before I go to the gym, you know, I have all of these things, limiting alcohol, eating healthy, getting daily movement in, like all of those things help me manage my anxiety. And so I started realizing that there'd be people people in my life that, you know, I'd always have to Explain myself well why can't you stay up till 2 a.m well because the next day I don't feel good you know why can't you go out and get drunk well you know how you can go get a burger and take an Advil and take a nap and you feel fine that's not the same with anxiety you have anxiety for three days after you drink for me it's not worth it and so it got to a point where I was spending more time explaining who I was and explaining why I did certain things and also people thinking that I was rigid or that you know they just don't understand you know, it's not, they're not bad people. They're great people. They just aren't people that understand what I'm going through, you know? And so it came to a point where it was like, are these people helping me in my journey? Or are these people where, like mean, you always have to explain yourself. Are they really, your friends? Do they really care about you? Do they really want to understand? And so the best thing I started doing was kind of looking at who are the people that are supporting me on my journey? Who are the people that if I say, hey, I don't have the margin, hang out with a large group of people tonight they say okay that's fine like don't worry about it like we'll, I'll check in with you tomorrow or you know someone who's like you know what? I'm not really drinking tonight and they go great actually in my friend group I love it because nobody ever says anything about anyone drinking like if you drink you, drink, you don't you know and nobody says a word you know and I built a friend group there that you never have to feel bad or ever have to explain yourself of why you're doing what you're doing Um, And that just helps because, you know, at the end of the day, when you are dealing with rejection and you're dealing, you know, with things like your trauma, right, rejection, no one likes rejection, but, you know, you can have rejection where it's like, okay, that was hard, but I can move on. For me, it was debilitating to be rejected. And so when I stopped getting phone calls and I stopped getting invited out and I'm sitting on Instagram and I'm seeing all my friends posting all together, but nobody calls me. And then when I ask, it's like, well, you don't drink, you know, then it was like, okay. I need to protect myself from FOMO. I need to protect myself from feeling left out. And so now I get invited and I get to make the decision and no one says anything about it. And so I think that's just kind of, it it becomes where you know what you need and you know what's going to help you. And it's okay. Your right people will find you. And the other ones, they're great people. I will run into them occasionally. Sometimes I hang out with them. Sometimes I don't. Um, And that's okay. And I think a big thing with friendships too and protecting yourself is also learning what friends are good for what, right? So I have my two friends. When I need a swift kick in the butt, I got those girls that I can call up and I know they're going to give me truth and they're going to put me right back in line. But then I also have those friends where I need to cut loose and I don't want to talk about my problems and I don't want to talk what's going on. And they're going to be my girls. that so I can call and be like, Hey, you know, you want to get split a bottle of rosé somewhere and we just go and hang out and it's just great. And I think knowing your different friends and, who is good for what, and being able to not just put everything that you need on one set of friends or one certain type of group, that also teaches you kind of how to protect yourself. Um, you know, when you need someone to put their arm around you and hold you when you cry, you might not want to go to your true friend who isn't great at doing that, right? Um, and so it's kind of learning, you know, okay, they're good people, they're not my people, or maybe this is a good person for this time, or maybe they're not great in that time, and that's okay. Um, but they're great at other things. And so I can go to them for those things. Um, it really, really helps to just kind of manage my feelings and also my expectations for other people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you know me for a while. So it's very, when we talk about relationships, it's very easy for me to hear what you're saying and be like, 100%, right? My... The thing I pray at the beginning of every year is that God remove the people that are no longer meant to be in my life. And he bring the right people that are are meant to be on this journey now. Right. And so when you start seeing people shift right in and out of your life, in the beginning, it was scary. I was like, wait, what What the heck is going on? Why are these? I want those people. It was like, well, Chris, you, you forget what you prayed for. Right. And so eventually I had to just throw my hands up and be like, oh, all right. Is what it is now. And again, it doesn't mean that those people are bad people. If I see them today, we can still have good conversations and we can still have good laughs. But um, I understand that I'm on a specific journey now and I have to protect myself. And I'm very mindful of of my habits and who's around me. Um, Because I, one, don't want to be the type of person that is putting this content out here but then behind closed doors I'm doing something else right because we know as believers what we do in the dark is going to come to light and so I had to make hard and difficult decisions to say okay this no longer serves me and if they're if they are really my friends they'll support me and if they aren't is what it is we're going to keep moving the trains moving regardless so I love that again you made this decision to say Again, how do I protect myself? How do I protect my heart? And whoever's meant to be on this journey will be here. We don't need to try to figure it out because God is going to order that. I love that. So we have to dive into your book. I want to know what the inspiration was behind it. And I want to know why now, right? Because since I've met you, the book is very, and I'll, I'll let you touch on it. But the the book from what I've read and excerpts and different things is, is focused on singleness, focused on what we can do from a biblical standpoint in our time of singleness and what does God say about it. So let's kind of let's just dive into that because I, I, I can't wait to hear yeah
0: so the book is actually an accident I never set out to write the book it wasn't ever like a dream of mine to write a book but um, a big part of my healing from trauma is I gave up dating um for four years I my therapist was like you can't you're not healthy you can't be in a healthy relationship until you get healthy and so I gave it up didn't get my phone number out didn't go on a date did nothing and then um you know four years in I look at my therapist and I'm like Okay, I think I am healthy enough to start dating, but like I want your input. And she's like, No, I think I think you, I think you've made great progress. I think you know where you are. I think you know what it takes to be in a healthy relationship. She's like, You should start dating. And so I was having a conversation with one of my pastors, and she was like, Have you written a list? And I was like, What do you mean a list? And she's like, Like of um, like qualities you're looking for in a future husband, like you know things that you find really really important, your non-negotiables. And I was like, no, she's like, you should. Like, God is a God of specifics. Like, you should write down the list and you should pray over it. So I was like, okay, great. And I write down this list and I'm like, okay, it seems really good. And so I start praying through the list and literally clear as day, I hear God go, but are you the kind of woman a man like that is looking for? And it wasn't a, you're not good enough, but it was, what are you doing? You know, like, if you want a financially smart man, are you being financially smart? You know, if you want a guy who's serving in the church, are you serving in the church? Like, what is it that you're doing? Like, where are you positioning yourself to be the, the better half of the other person? Where are you, what are you doing? And so it started to be where I started praying over the list, but then I started examining myself of saying, you know, okay, if I'm praying for this, what, what areas do I need to improve? Um, and so I started, you know, praying these things personally, and then I was talking to a bunch of single girls and they're like we should pray together and so it started as a group text the first time I did it was with a few girls and I would give them a scripture verse and a little like prayer and then that was it and we did it for a month and then those girls told other girls and the other girls was like well we want to do it too so then I you know used the same scripture verses but then I added a little excerpt like a little interpretation and then a third group of girls Heard about it and they wanted me to do it with them and then finally after that one everyone's like, why don't you just write a book and I was like, you know what you're right and so it kind of just became this is the everything that I put in the book the 31 days or everything that God has specifically told me to myself It's not anything that it, it's not that I wrote the book for other people to be like oh you guys should deal with this These are step-by-step things that I've had discussions with the Lord things that he's pointed out in my life, in my singleness. And so, you know, I kind of sat on it for a while. Um, and I probably had it completely written for about a year and a half and did nothing <laughs> with it. And then um, I went through a breakup in March and I was like, you know what? I'm publishing this book. I'm, you know, it kind of, I was like, you know, I'm single again. So I think that I need to go through this book again, but I think other women as well Need to go through this book because um, I think a lot of, especially single women, we get Christian single women specifically, we get so caught up in we've got to get married and we got to find someone, and in our entire our entire singleness comes into super focused on finding the person rather than hey, in singleness, I don't have a husband that's waking me up to tell me a million things that need to happen that day. I don't have someone that I have to cook or clean with. I don't have someone that, I don't have children that are running around where I don't have quiet time. You know, I can remember, you know, when I was writing the book that I looked at, uh, I was on Instagram one morning and this woman was like, oh my gosh, my kids slept in and I finally got to enjoy a hot cup of coffee. And I was like, how do we like as single women, like we're so ready for the husband, we're so ready for the kids, but there's going to be a day that we're like, I forget what it's like to sit and have a cup of coffee and have no one speak to me for the first hour of my day. And when you translate that to a Christian woman, it's like, this is the time in our lives when we get to be so consumed with the Lord. Like right now, we have no other distractions. Like we can say we have a job or career or we have pets or things like that. But at the end of the day, those aren't actually distractions. You know, we can wake up at 6 a.m. and from 6 to 7 read our Bibles. We cannot watch the show at the end of the day and sit there and do a study and just really fall in love with the Lord. But even more than that, we're building a great foundation for when we get married and when we have kids, because when we're fully, really, fully grounded in him, we're going to make better decisions when it comes to dating. We're going to make better decisions when it comes to being married and, and, you know, what that looks like. Um, and so I, I, was just kind of inspired to, you know, as I started to pray with these girls and, you know, kind of dig a little bit deeper and dig a little bit deeper you know everybody was like well other women need to hear this this is you know something that people can benefit from but yeah it just came from the lord basically calling me out and <laughs> a book came from it so
1: I love yeah. that are you the type of person that you are asking for obviously i did a little ad lib there but i love I, it's funny to me because even in my season right like i know that i've been very specific in the things that I want in my personal life, in my relationships, in my future spouse, all these things, right? And so I've been consciously working on being the best version of myself, being the person, being the husband, father that my my future children need, that the the husband that my future wife needs because I truly believe that she's doing the work as well, right? And and when we meet it's going to be this beautiful alignment right like it's not going to be a oh well you know this area is good but i'm i'm it's a little off i'm really hoping that she does you know like no it's going to in my personal opinion it's going to be exactly what i need uh, when i'm ready and so i love that that was the message that that you received i love that you put this book together because I honestly think men could read this as well, right? Um, although it's geared towards females, there's a lot that that we can do as men and and just individuals in general that if we are waiting for and looking for our partner, are we already in a place where we can say, yes, I'm ready to receive this? Because I can tell you from experience that I've asked for things and I've received it and I was not ready and I definitely self-sabotaged, right? And so I think it is important when we begin to ask for the things that we want to recognize, like, am I actually doing the work? Do I have the character to withstand and to actually hold on to what I'm asking for? Because if you do, great, but if you do not, then maybe you start doing the work, right? because it sucks when you ask for something you get it and you're not ready
0: yeah that's one thing my therapist and I always talk about you know now that I'm you know getting older I'm like okay I would like to get married eventually like probably sometime soon but when we look back you know something that I really have to you have to reflect I think reflection is huge and I look at at 28 could I have gotten married yes could I've had a healthy relationship absolutely not at 30 could I've been healthy in a marriage absolutely not And so, yes, could I have gotten married? Could I have gotten healthy in that marriage? Yeah, it would have been 10 times harder than if I had done the work and I had healed and then I got into a relationship. You know, that's one thing that I really look at in singleness is if you ever talk to a a person who's married, they're going to tell you marriage is hard, right? Marriage is hard and there's a lot you have to do. And so, you know, my biggest thing is what can I heal from? What can I change? What can I grow? How do I... You know not bring unnecessary baggage because i'm going to bring baggage one way or another because i'm human and i'm a sinner and until i get to heaven i won't be perfect so i'm going to bring some kind of baggage but i'd much rather show up with a carry-on than you know 28 boxes worth of junk into a marriage um and so it's kind of what i look at as singleness is you know how do i grow in my relationship with the lord but then also, you know, as a Christian, I know it's really important, you know, you you hear everyone say, well, God gives you the desires of your heart. Well, our heart is wicked. And so as we spend time with God, he changes our hearts, so our desires change. And so when we align our desires with his will, that's when he starts to bless us. That's when he gives us those desires, not necessarily the desires of our wicked heart. And, you know, I'm like, God, you know, I want God's best for me. I don't, I don't want Chelsea best is good. It's never going to be as good as his. And so I'm like, I'd rather spend time with God and really make sure that I'm aligning with him so he can bring that person into my life and he can bless my marriage because if he's not in my marriage, he can't bless it. And so I'd much rather wait and do the work and then let him bring the person along than me be out there desperately trying to find someone.
1: Man, Chelsea, thank you. Thank you for sharing this time with us, guys. This is the Chelsea that I've known for a long time. This is the Chelsea, the version of her that I that I saw from day one, and I believe that um, she is growing into the the beautiful woman, into the the beautiful uh, wife one day that God has called her to be. And um, I'm just excited for for what the future holds for you, Chelsea. Where can we follow you? Where can we support you? Uh, so I
0: have it, my Instagram. Um, it's Chelsea underscore Indovino. Yeah. And I just post periodically. I'm not great at posting, um, but um, my book is also on Amazon. Um, so you can purchase it there. But yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include all of the links. Guys, thank you again for tuning in. As always, if there is anything that you can take from this episode, our ask is that you please share it. And Let us know if there's things that we can improve on because we're a community that is constantly working to be the best version of ourselves. We want to thank our sponsors for making this possible. If you are interested in being a sponsor, please reach out to us. As always, we have one last thing. I know everybody was like, wow, he's going to wrap up and he's not even going to ask. No, trust me. I'm wearing my shirt, so you know I'm about to ask. So I end every episode with an affirmation. I say I am, and then I allow you to finish that. And this affirmation is for you. Okay, so putting you on the spot, and then we'll we'll wrap. So are you ready?
0: hmm
1: Okay. Yeah. I am. Loved. I'm loved. I'm loved, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again for tuning in. As always, love y'all. Peace. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to give another huge thank you to our sponsor, Deck Leadership, for making this episode possible. If you thought of someone while you were listening, send this to them. We want as many people as possible to hear this message, improve their mental health, and know that they are not alone. Please leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening. And don't forget to tag us on Instagram at Mentally Shredded Podcast with your biggest takeaway so we can thank you for being part of this movement. Remember, together we can change the stigma. It takes all of us.